It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, September 10th, 2015. Thank you for being with us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dan. Hey, Jacob. Great to be with you tonight. Great to be with you tonight. And thank you for joining us. Uh, We'll look forward to hearing from you. The toll-free telephone line is wide open at 8 Seven seven three eight one four five six seven. It's eight seven seven three eight one four five six. How many times have you said that? Only a few hundred. It's times. actually eight eight. Yeah, it's eight, it's eight, eight seven seven. Eight, I don't know. I'm in a, there. It is right there on the screen. Yeah. You got a brain freeze going on or something? Brain freeze. Questions at collegeview.com. I know that one. And the chat window to the bottom of your video. If you're watching us live on the program tonight, lots of folks don't. Most people don't watch us live. Most people don't even watch the video. In the recording, most people are podcasting this program, and we welcome you. Welcome, podcasters. Podcasters and those who go out and manually download the program from our website. But if you have never been to our website, it's thevirtualbiblestudy.com. I I know our listeners might be shocked to know this, but I just recently upgraded to a smartphone. I've been fighting it and fighting it forever, and I finally yielded and got a smartphone. But you know what? That is really easy to podcast. It's easier than you would imagine. Oh, it's so easy. Yeah, yeah. And, and you can get that in there, and it'll be right there. It's ready yeah, for you. Just push the button, you got it. Yeah. It's amazing so, technology. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, if you've never been to our website or you've never we've never heard from you, we welcome you to give us an email, questions at collegeview.com. Maybe just tell us you're out there where you're listening from. And uh, better yet, send us a suggestion for a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And that is what's prompting our discussion tonight. There you go. I got an email from our friend Ramona in Texas, a friend over the Internet that we haven't met in person, but Ramona is a frequent participant with us on the Virtual Bible Study by way of emails, and, and we always appreciate her input. And she asked this, uh, is the clerk in Kentucky right in not issuing marriage licenses? As far as I can see it, it's the law of the land, and we are to obey the laws of the land even though it leaves us a bad taste in our mouth. Am I right? Well, I think Ramona's question uh, probably generates a good bit of discussion among religious people in this in this current uh, environment. For those of – I mean, if unless you've been living under a rock for the last week or so, you probably have heard of this Kim Davis – I think it's was it Kim Davis, Kyle. Kim, Kyle Kim, Kyle's Kim. behind the board. Kyle tonight. knows. Kyle I, knows. Kyle, Kyle's not been living under a rock. I've been halfway living under a rock. I didn't hear about it till this morning, but <laughs> yeah. I came out of the rock this, uh, from under the rock this morning. Okay. But this Kim Davis, who's a county clerk in Kentucky, when they when the Supreme Court ruled that same sex marriage is legal in all fifty states, then it became the duty of county court clerks like Kim Davis in Kentucky to issue same-sex marriage licenses. She said she would not do it. It was against her religion. Her morals wouldn't allow her to do that. And basically they said, you will or else. And she said, I won't. And so they arrested her and put her in jail for not obeying the law of the land, which was that 
same-sex marriage licenses should be issued and that it's legal in all 50 states for same-sex couples to be married. Um, and so that's generated some questions, and that generated the gist of the question that Ramona asked. You know, She said, isn't it the law of land? Aren't we supposed to obey the law of land? My take on that, you know, there was a whole big rally. Several presidential political candidates went to Kentucky to stand in support of Kim Davis, who refused to issue same-sex marriage licenses. She finally got out of jail. I don't know what day it was. Was it Monday or Monday or Tuesday? Maybe no, I Monday. think it was last yesterday. I think was it just yesterday this morning. Anyway, she got out after about five or six days in jail. She got out. She's still the county court clerk. She's not going to have a hands-on participation in the same-sex marriage license, but her deputy clerks are going to be authorized to do that, and she's been told she can't interfere with them as they're issuing same-sex marriage licenses. So that's what that was all about. A lot of people, a lot of religious people really came to her support saying, you know, that's right, you you should not do that. It's a violation of your of your morality, and you shouldn't be forced to violate your morality uh, and so don't do it. Okay. I actually, now, I hope we can get some conversation generated uh, in, in the chat room. Uh, I actually disagreed with her approach. Okay. Um, her, she has a job. Suddenly the aspects of her job change to require her to do something that she can't morally do. I think her recourse is to resign her position and go get a different job. You know, uh, I've used the illustration to several people this week. If, I, if I'm working at a convenience store and suddenly the owner of the convenience store comes in and says, Greg, we're going to start selling beer here. and You're going to have to start selling beer. I'd say, I can't sell beer. I have a moral objection to, to drinking alcohol. You know what the owner of that store would say? You know, well, I'm sorry. If you can't do it, then you're out. I'll have to get somebody who can. Uh, no, what I could, I could either sell the beer in opposition to my morals, or I could resign the position and go get a different job. What if I was serving at a restaurant? I'm a server at a restaurant. Suddenly the owner of the restaurant says, we're going to start serving alcohol in our restaurant. I said, oh, not me, not me. I can't serve alcohol. I don't believe in it. It's against my morals. Well, sorry, but we're going. To, but that's what we're going to do. And if you can't do it, then go find another job. I really think that's what Kim Davis should have done. On principle, she should have resigned her position. Let it be known why she was resigning her position, but, but resigned her position because she can't now morally do what her job requires of her to do. I don't think she was in a position to try and change that law by her opposition. That's just my take well, on it. Yeah, others, other county clerks have done what you suggested as resigning. I know that, but, uh, uh, yeah, so interesting. Kyle, you had similar comments tonight when we were talking to that uh, you felt like that may have been the right recourse as well. Oh, definitely. It's um, she, well, one, it's a actually an eighty thousand dollar a year job she has right now. So she probably couldn't find another uh, job like that. Not that's and it's an elected position. So she's I can uh, definitely uh, see the monetary aspect of it. But she does have some different views than we have. But I do think that the moral. She should just quit. I yeah. think I don't know why she went through the whole process. She yeah. just should just quit. Yeah. But but. We have to, as our some of our listeners have, we we need to applaud the courage. Yeah, I'm, I'm all a, for taking, taking a stand. A stand. Yeah, yeah, I'm all for taking a stand. I think it's a good thing to take a stand. I think we got to do. We're going to have to do more of that, and that's sort of what we want to talk about in our in our study tonight. Is what about this religious opposition? This was a specific case 
of a person whose religion was being assaulted by the government, by governmental rules, regulations, by the courts. I think we're going to experience more of that. I don't think that's going to get better. I think that's going to get worse. And so I think the question is, how do we prepare and what should we do when faced with opposition like that? All right. The telephone number I'm trying to get, 877-381-4567. Open for you to call tonight, questions at collegeview.com. And sign in in the chat room with other listeners. The comments are starting to come in there. Josh is in the chat room. He says, from my understanding, the clerk has been married three to four times. That really hurts her example. Yeah, I think she's in her fourth marriage. But, ah, but she said, I heard this, and I heard this. She said she became a Christian after she married her fourth husband. Well, I don't think that solves anything. That doesn't but, necessarily But solve apparently it. her morals have come to a higher level than they used to be. You've had three husbands and the... One you have now is not, not your husband. husband. <laughs> um, anyhow, uh, that really hurts her example. She tries to stand up for God's truth on the matter. Titus 2, verses 7 and 8 tells us to have the right example so that nothing evil can be said of us. I agree with Greg. She could have had an even greater impact by simply saying, it's wrong and I can't in good conscience fulfill the duties of this job now. Yeah. And uh, Mike uh, is, says uh, agree with he agrees with you. She she should resign. Although I would have to wonder if a Christian could hold that job, as I'm sure there are people who get licenses who do not have scriptural authority to be married. Not to bring up a completely different subject. Yeah, you know that's a I think that's a worthy point. She's administering marriage licenses to people who don't have a right to be scriptural right to be married anyway. Right. Because I, I would guess that in in any given county court clerk's office that half or more of the licenses that you're that you're issuing are to people who don't have a scriptural right to be married to the person they're getting the license with. So what's with. the difference? So, well, there is, in there is a difference. In God's view, I mean, it, they're both wrong. Yeah, they're wrong. They're both wrong. And yeah. so I think, that's, I think that's a worthy point. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I wonder if a Christian could, you know, legitimately be in that business. You know, that's the same question. It, we recently, we I, well, Josh put in this one of these messages in the chat room. When we were at Josh's wedding, Josh and Kristen got married earlier this spring, and they were at a new venue here in our community, and and it was really nice, and it looks like that's going to be a little gold mine for the people who started it. It's just a wedding venue, and uh, but we all asked the question, what are you going to do if a same sex couple comes and they want to use your wedding venue? Are you going to let them? Oh, everybody said, no, I, I wouldn't. I couldn't. Well, I, I think that would be a problem. But what are you going to do if, if a couple that doesn't have a right to be married comes and wants to use your married, your wedding venue? Yeah. you got the same issue, really. you got the same you got the same conflict. All right, Guest 345 says the Church of Christ wouldn't even <clears throat> consider this woman as a Christian, so don't know why this is even your topic. Uh, well, it's a topic because we think that uh, she's because, standing uh, up for what she believes God has instructed, and, and we're and, and we're, we're, we're just using. Yeah, we're not talking about her. Speci- that her case is not our really our theme for tonight. Her case is just to introduce the subject of the fact that as Christians, we are going to be challenged more and more as uh, and and more and more opposition to our moral positions is going to be evident in society, and so. Uh, really, we were just using her case to segue us into a topic as to how how do we prepare and what do we do in anticipation of the fact that things are going to happen that requ- that that we have to make moral decisions about. Uh, you were asked earlier today for folks to give their comments on the Kentucky issue, and Chris in the UK says, "Remember, I'm an outsider in all this as a Brit." 
but I will offer these comments. What's the difference between this and what happened in 2004 when San Francisco Mayor, I think, Gavin Newsom issued uh, then illegal gay marriage certificates? Why was he praised for this? And this woman is vilified. It just reminds me of the Isaiah verse of woe to those who call good evil and evil good. I think you're right on it, Chris. And the, the, what we're seeing is just a deterioration of the morals of our of our culture. Yeah. And and so you know, exactly very very pertinent uh, uh, observation there. And then uh, he references, uh, he says, not to mention Proverbs 17, verse 15, he that justifies the wicked and he that condemns the just, even they both are abomination to Yahweh. Thank you for those verses, Chris, and for your comments uh, coming from us to us from uh, the U.K. tonight. All right, and then we got an email from our friend Randy up in Michigan. He says, I believe the county court clerks in Kentucky County court clerk in Kentucky is more likely a denominationalist, although what she did took a great deal of courage, knowing that the nation was watching her every move. She understood the Bible to teach against homosexuality and that it was an abomination in the eyes of God. She is being faithful to her understanding of what she believes God's word to be teaching on that subject. It looks to me like she's going to be faithful for whatever whatever the cost. Sort of reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what they said to King Nebuchadnezzar. He, he quotes Daniel 3, beginning verse 14. I'm going to skip down to verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered said to the king, O king Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it so be, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known to thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. I think those three uh, Hebrew men are a wonderful example to us in exactly the kind of scenario that we're discussing tonight. Yeah. We're going to do what's right now. We don't have to take time to get our answer together. Yeah, we, don't have to think, we don't even have to think about this. We're going to do the right thing. And, yeah. what, and you can do what you want to, King, and, and, and God will deliver us. And, but even if he didn't deliver us from your physical death, we're still not going to bow down to your image, King. We're going to do what's right. Come what, man. We're going to serve God. That's right. And, uh, and they were doing that in, in the face of so many who were going the opposite direction. And we have to believe there were a lot of Jews that were in their same shoes that caved and gave yeah. in, yeah. yet these young men stood strong. Yeah, and then Randy mentions Acts 5.29, uh, Peter and the other apostles answered. When they were told not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore, they answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men, Acts 5.29. He says, the time may be coming, we'll have to choose to obey God's law or choose to obey man's law. I, I pray the children of God will choose to obey God's law and let us pray for each other for courage to stand in such a time and be faithful. It is... Uh, it is through Jesus our Lord only we can have strength to do just that. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thanks, thanks. Thanks, Randy. And uh, about time for a break. But guest 345 you made the comment the Church of Christ wouldn't even consider this woman as a Christian, so don't know why this is even your topic. We answered that, and 345 came back and said, nice sidestep. We're not sidestepping the issue. We could, we could talk about this, whether this Jew was a Muslim or a Jew or an atheist. Uh, if this this woman took a stand for what she believed, and we're talking about the fact that she's been persecuted for that, was it the right thing that she did, and what is the reaction that she's receiving of it, regardless of... We don't know anything about this woman other than the fact that she believes that same-sex marriage is wrong. We don't know anything about her religious convictions. <laughs> well, jo- uh, Kyle does. Well, uh, the, the news reporting said she was she had been married three times Kyle, before. Kyle... Apostolic Christian. Which uh, she, she, she a Pentecostal or an no, apostolic? Uh, it's it's a little bit different in following a lot of man-made uh, doctrines rather than the Scripture. It was. It's a lot of uh, 
it was found like the early 1800s, I believe, and there's just a lot of man-made. Uh, it does follow scripture, but then it does follow this uh, the founder's teaching. So, it's so we're of, not sidestepping the issue. It's just to talk about well, you know, someone who took a, a position and suffered for it. Yeah, that's a response. You know, we're not sidestepping because we have in the past we've we've actually interviewed Pentecostal preachers and we've discussed with them our differences on modern day miracles, speaking in tongues, and all that sort of thing. We're not sidestepping that. We're just dealing with one thing here, and that is that here's a woman who took her stand for her moral convictions, and she was punished for doing so. And we're just using that. I don't don't know why uh, our our commenter in the chat room is offended by that. We're just using that as an example to say that's probably coming to us all, and we should prepare ourselves to be ready for that. That's really – we're just using that to introduce this theme. All right. Uh, if, if you have any other further comments, we welcome those in the chat room. Uh, we're going to take a break and get your comments on the other side. Again, the toll-free line, 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. I'm Arthur Haynes from Coleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the virtual Bible study. Here's some quotes worth pondering. We must never be content with who we are, only with what we have. God doesn't exist to serve us, rather we exist to serve him. When we answer before listening, we prove to others that we are both foolish and rude. Man, wish I'd said that. Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight uh, talking about, uh, well, troubling times that may come, uh, opposition to our religious faith that may be... Coming this way, there are certainly signs that our society is moving in that direction, and we want to be prepared for it. We never got a chance to introduce your questions that you uh, asked. Yeah, well, our first question was just to get people to give their opinion about that county court clerk and and what she had done. That was question one. We've dealt with that. But let's get into the theme. The theme, really, that I put out to our uh, uh, update list earlier today, always remind you, get on our update list. If you're not, send an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say, put me on the list in the, stu- in the subject line, and we'll do that. If you had been on our list, you would have got these questions. The first one was about that county court clerk in Kentucky. Number two, we asked, what's the history of God's treatment of evil nations with some specific examples? And then what I probably should have said is, what does that say about the future of our nation. Yeah. I didn't, but we'll talk about that. And then what we want to talk about is what can we do in dealing with these sort of things on a national and community level, and then what can we do in dealing with these things on a personal and family level. All right. If you'd like to chime in on those, send us your thoughts or any uh, comment you may have during the program tonight. Oh, certainly we do have some biblical precedent and some history to draw upon of evil nations I put together a lesson a while back and preached it here at College View and, and just had a, a number of examples. Let me run through them real quick, Jacob, because, and I think probably our emails, you can check the email. I don't know if they talked about these or not as well. But Babylon, the, the, the great Babylonian empire, uh, very powerful, ruled the known world of its day. Uh, the city of Babylon, the, 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 Ancient historian Herodotus said that the walls of Babylon were 300 feet high and 75 feet thick. That's a little bit hard to imagine, but at the very least, he was saying Babylon was a mighty fortified city. If you were just sort of scanning the political landscape of the day, you say nobody takes Babylon down. Nobody does. 
But 150 years before Babylon fell, the prophet Isaiah said, Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them. This is Isaiah 13, beginning verse 17. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Isaiah said, It's coming. Your fall's coming. Because of their weakness, God brought them down. Mm-hmm. Uh, another example is uh, of Sodom and Gomorrah itself, which was just mentioned by Isaiah. We know in Genesis 18, verse 20, the Lord said the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. Their sin is very grievous. Notice he was aware. God knew what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he, uh, and he was aware of what was, was taking place. The sin was very grievous. Kind of an interesting story there in Genesis. Abraham tried to negotiate with God. You know, would you, would you spare the city if we could find 50 righteous people? Yeah. What about... 40, and he, I don't know, maybe he jumped to 30, but he got all the way down to 10. After several rounds of negotiation, he got God down to 10. God would spare the city of 10 righteous souls. It would have just taken 10 righteous souls to spare the city of Sodom from destruction. They couldn't find 10 yeah. in that city, and God overthrew the city. So what we see is that when wickedness becomes great enough, God won't tolerate it anymore. A really interesting example is when God promised Abraham the land of Canaan. Uh, he, he said, he promised that this is going to be your possession. Your descendants will own, oh, occupy this land. But not yet. He said several generations were going to transpire before Abraham's descendants would occupy that land. And he told why. Genesis 15, beginning verse 15. Thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. In the fourth generation thy seed shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. The Amorites were the people who occupied that land at the time. And and they were wicked people, very immoral people. But notice God said their iniquity is not yet full. In other words, it hadn't reached a plateau yet, but it was going to. God would anticipate that it would. And when that when the Amorites' wickedness become great enough, he would overthrow them, and the children of Israel would own their land. And that's, of course, exactly what happened. And so you get the idea that God knows, God foreknows the moral conditions of nations and then he reacts to that. And and when when immorality reaches a level, God says that's enough, no more. And he and he brings them down. All right. Our, our listeners are on the on the same wavelength here tonight. Uh Chris in the UK says Joshua's con conquest, or to put it in uh another way, the Lord vomiting the people out of the land for their abominations, Leviticus chapter eighteen and tw- through twenty, if I'm right. The plagues of Egypt, or your gods, are impotent compared to me, and I'll overcome them. The decapitation and stumbling over Dagon. That was the Philistine god. Two uh, two gods cannot coexist, so off you go. Am I allowed, though it's rebellious Israel, ground uh, swallowing for the uh, sons of Korah, mockery at Mount Carmel, the cycles of apostasy in the book of Judges, to mention a few. So Chris has got several there. A lot of them, yeah. And then Randy in Michigan. Randy's in the chat room, by the way. Thanks for being here tonight, Randy. Randy says, God punished Egypt for the way she dealt with Israel and almost destroyed Egypt with the ten plagues, and in the end he destroyed her army. God severely punished Egypt. God more than once punished Israel for being wicked and unfaithful to him. The final judgment of Israel being wicked and unfaithful happened in AD 70. When Jerusalem was destroyed and the nation Israel was no more, the final straw that broke Israel's back was a rejection of Jesus Christ, mankind, mankind's only Savior. Israel was more than a rebellious nation. The Roman Empire was evil and wicked. Immorality was rampant and practiced everywhere. Also, the government was totally corrupted and the people as well. Also, 
with all the wickedness and immorality that was being practiced and promoted. The Roman government trying to destroy and eliminate Christianity. In the end, not only was the Roman government punished, but it was destroyed by God. Sad to say, our nation seems to be on the same pathway as the Roman Empire. Rome is a great example, and, I, and many of us understand the book of Revelation to include prophecy against of God's judgment against both the Jewish and the Roman nations. Those are great examples. I had one other. Those fellows covered some of the ones that I was thinking of as well. We know the most about the, the Israelites, of course, and the, and the nation of Israel. One that, that sort of stands out is the Assyrian Empire. You know, they were very powerful. Before the Babylonian Empire, the great world empire was the Assyrian Empire. Very powerful. They were a ruthless and bloody people, very oppressive to the, to the nations that they conquered. And you remember God sent the prophet Jonah to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, and told him, you go there and preach to them and preach repentance to them and Jonah, the reason Jonah fled was not because he was afraid of the Ninevites. He fled because he didn't want to go there and convince them to repent. He wanted God to punish the Ninevites. Mm -hmm. And so he went the wrong way, and the great fish swallowed him and all that. But he finally got to Nineveh right? because uh, God had told him, Jonah 1, verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Notice again, he, God knew they're very wicked. Jonah, you go there, preach to them. Jonah did. And they repented at the preaching of Jonah, quite amazingly. But they didn't stay right with God. The prophet Nahum, in Nahum chapter 1, verse 8, the burden of Nineveh, with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof. And he did. And he did. And so, again, just sort of like what Randy was saying in his, in his email, the history of God's dealings with nations is he tolerates them until the level of wickedness reaches a point that he will tolerate it no more. And then he brings those nations down. Now, the application of that is, what do you think he will do with our nation? You know, the problem that I have is quantifying the wickedness that they, the levels of wickedness that they were at when God punished them. Yeah. And comparing it to, equating it to where we are. You know, lots of things were going on, idolatry, which you'd have to say, well, there's quite a bit of idolatry in American society today. Well, I, th I think that's a really interesting question. But the challenge I would put out, you know, if you think we're not that bad, what about 55-plus million babies that have been aborted in the United States since 1973? Yeah. In just the last 40-odd years, 55 million babies right. have been aborted in the United States. You think we're not so bad? Well, then that was a big issue in the Old Testament that people were offering their children to Molech, yeah. passing their children through the fire and actually offering their babies. And I, I read, I was reading uh, one of the, uh, this is during the period of the divided kingdoms. There were there was some uh, nation that was at, at war, I think, with Israel. And, and one of the kings offered his, seemed to be his grown son during that battle, sacrificed his grown So, I mean, they were killing their kids. Yeah. But the kids were older. Yeah. Uh, but but, it, but it's, the point's the same. The same thing. Yeah. Uh, the, we're, so, we're you know, I, I really do to think. Our idol, to our idol of personal pleasure and fulfillment, you know, I don't want these kids in the way, so I'm going to kill them off. Um, so you got to wonder. Yeah, I, I think that. But I think we are inclined to, to imagine we're not that bad. Those, those nations were really bad. They were real bad. And we're not that bad. But when you think of the problem of abortion, when you think of this same-sex marriage thing, Sodom and Gomorrah. when you think of just the plague of pornography uh, right. in our country, 
I think we're that bad. I think we're that bad. Uh, in the chat room, Mike J says, what is the best way to understand how God will deal with the nations today, knowing that we will always be in the minority while we're here? Yes, the question is, we know that we will likely never have a full nation of people completely turned to God. There could be a turn to good morals in everyday living, but do you think God would spare a nation because of that, even though good morals doesn't mean we are being pleasing to God? Don't don't know if I asked that clearly or not. No, I'm on the same wavelength as Mike. Well, I think Mike's, what Mike is saying is Christians have never been in the majority. People who are right with God have never been in the majority. They've always been in a relatively minor minority. So... For instance, when America was founded, there were um, the people were sinful. I mean, not and not following God's will, engaged in all type of religious perversion when America was founded. So what's well, the here's the point? That? I think there's a direct parallel to Sodom and Gomorrah. When Abraham negotiated with God, would you spare the city for fifty? What about thirty? What about twenty? What about ten? In other words, there was a there was a there was a lower limit. And God says it's going to have to be that many. If there's not that many, then we're out of here. Yeah. And and there weren't that many. And so, are we approaching that level where the the minority of righteous people in America is low enough that God will not spare the nation any longer for this low number? There will always be people who are trying to do the right thing, and we're thankful for that. But it, the the immorality will grow so great and the contrasting righteousness of the nation will be so low that God will not allow a nation to endure forever. And and I got to believe that, you know, I think we're just foolish to imagine that God would treat America different than he treated all those others. So I guess the what we have to, well, guess 77 or 7225 says many called few chosen. We're going to be in the minority if we're trying to serve God. I guess the... Only thing we can conclude is that it that our wickedness is a reproach. Uh, that God's very unhappy with the wickedness that He sees. He always has been, and um, and that He, but in this base of it, He expects us to be standing for what's right. And we just don't know how God's going to deal with, yeah. with yeah. us. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're not making any prophetic predictions yeah. Yeah. here. Right. But based upon the history we see in the Bible, God does not allow wicked nations to endure indefinitely. That's just the truth. Okay. All right, we'll take your thoughts during the break. We're going to get this week's bullet point and take your thoughts on the other side. Uh, again, toll-free, 877-381-4567. Sign in the chat room, chat with other listeners there. What about uh, God's dealing with wicked nations? Is there anything we can gain from that as we think about how he might deal with us? And then how should we deal with these issues on a national and local level? Maybe you're saying we ought to get involved and uh, try and be an influence for good. What, how do you do that in these wicked times? Let us know your thoughts. We'll look forward to hearing from you right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. The day-age theory argues that each of the days in Genesis 1 were actually long ages of time. This, of course, is an attempt to harmonize biblical teaching of a young earth with the false claims of some scientists who claim our earth and universe are billions of years old. Here are some of the simple affirmative arguments to prove that the days of creation in Genesis 1 were literal 24-hour days rather than long ages of time. First, God defined his own terms in Genesis 1 verse 5. It says there, God called the light day and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. So a period of light followed by a period of darkness constituted a day. Unless someone wants to argue that it stayed light for long periods and then stayed dark for long periods, 
which of course poses huge difficulties, we will have to stand upon this clear statement and conclude that the days were literal 24-hour days. Furthermore, Genesis 1, beginning verse 14, mentions the sun, moon, and stars and says they were made to be, quote, for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. If we are to believe that the days were actually long ages of time, then what were the seasons and the years? Second argument. Romans 1 verse 20 says, quote, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. This verse claims that someone has been here to see and understand God's power ever since the creation of the world. This poses no problem to those of us who believe that man was created within the same actual week that everything else was created, but those who want to believe that each day represents a long age have some problems. If man was created eons after the other elements of creation were formed, then this makes no sense. This line of reasoning is confirmed by Jesus' own statement in Mark 10, verse 6, quote, from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female, unquote. The day-age theory places man at the end of millions or billions of years of geologic time. In light of these verses, that cannot be true. Finally, if the days were actually long ages, then we have the wrong chronological order of events. For instance, plants were created on day three, but insects were not created until day five or six. But many plants depend upon insects for cross-pollinization and so forth. How did plants survive for long ages without their needed counterparts in the insect world? Other similar problems of chronological order exist that strongly argue against the day-age theory. We know that this day-age theory is commonly held by many who teach the false doctrine of theistic evolution. It is not true and is actually an unnecessary attempt to compromise the truths taught in the Bible with the unproven claims of some scientists. They teach that we live in an ancient universe, while in actuality we live in a relatively young universe that was created in six literal days by our omnipotent God. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Roger Toomes, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight, as we always do at this time. We remind you this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You know how to find our website now. You know there's a lot of material out there. Go out and check it out and uh, sign up for that sermon podcast where you can hear sermons recently presented to the church. And uh, you can get those there and you can find out how to contact us. Questions at collegeview.com. All right. So we're moving to the part of our discussion that we ask, what should we do, both on a public sort of national community level? What should we do in preparing for the, the opposition that is is increasing against those who take a moral stand in our culture? Yeah. What should we do? What can we do in a public sort of way in our local communities uh, as a nation? What can we do? And then uh, what can we do privately and especially in our families? Let's talk about the all first right, thing right. first. Let's uh, get some comments in the chat room. Guest 7225 gives us a couple comments. Come out of, d- of darkness and be the light God requires. And... 72:25 references says scripture says unless we repent and turn we will wax worse and worse perhaps a reference to second Timothy chapter 3 verse 13 but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse deceiving and being deceived I so we can anticipate things will get yep. worse and worse yep. but we also remember proverbs 14:34 righteousness exalteth a nation but sin is a reproach to any people so we need to try and stand up for righteousness, be an influence to try and turn our nation 
uh, and our communities in, in a more righteous way. Uh, to do that, I think, you know, sort of the idea of of what this clerk did in Kentucky, although I don't agree with her methodology there, I, I do think the idea of standing up for what you believe, I don't, I think, I would have, if I was in her shoes, I would have stood up for what I believe by resigning from that position, say, I can't morally right. do that job anymore. Right. So I, I disagree with, with her application of the principle, but I think the principle that she pursued is the right one of standing up and letting your positions be made known. Yes. Uh, now, I know Christians who, who think that the way to do that maybe is to run for public office, try and get in some of those places. Uh, I, I wouldn't I, mean, I wouldn't discourage them from doing that. I'm not inclined to do that. But we do need people in high places who will who will try to make the needed changes. We certainly, I think, need to vote for people who will make the right kind of changes. Yeah. Have you got something there in email? Yeah. Chris in the U.K. Uh, says, as a foreigner, I can't really give advice. So I will, too. Uh, to steal your phrase here are some quotes worth pondering. Uh, he quotes Franklin Roosevelt, who says, in politics, nothing happens by accident. If it happens, you can bet it was planned that way. He goes on and says, sorry, I don't know the source for this one. If you do, by all means, give it. January 22nd, 1973, I assume Roe versus Wade was D-Day for 54 million right. and counting children conceived in the USA. Notice the date that this was Women's Rights Day uh, was announced by the U.S. Supreme Court right in the middle of the sexual revolution that started in the 1960s. So let's not forget the real problem with abortions rights, sexual immorality. Right. Uh, right. So it is getting to the this is getting to the roots of it all. Uh, and uh, he, he goes on and quotes Ella Wheeler Wilcox to sin by silence when they should protest makes cowards of men. That's I like good, that. That's a good I quote. like that. Yeah. Uh, maybe one you need to include in yours uh, here coming up. Uh, he says all truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently, violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as being self-evident. That's Arthur Schopenhauer. Schopenhauer. Yeah. And uh, reference, he quotes Thomas Jefferson. Freedom is lost gradually from an uninterested, uninformed, and uninvolved people. And then Edward Burke. Very famous quote. All that's necessary for the forces of evil to win uh, in the world is for enough good men to do nothing. That's right. Thank you for those. I think those are good quotes. Yeah. So some Uh, quotes worth pondering. Thank you for that, Chris. uh, Randy says, we need to do what our Lord commanded us to do. Go everywhere teaching the good news and work harder than we ever have. Not only is our nation at stake, but the world as well. We must pray that we will be worthy of our Lord and pray uh, and pray for strength and courage that we might never give up. But our souls are at stake and those living around us. By ourselves, this will be impossible. But with the Lord's help, we will be more than conquerors. Onward, Christian soldiers. There we go. All right. So I do think, I, th- I think that we should pray. Uh, uh, prayer is always an appropriate thing to do. And, in fact, we're even instructed to pray for our for our civil uh, uh, leaders. First yep. Timothy chapter 1 Excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning verse 1. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and givings of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So, certainly appropriate to pray. And I would encourage all of us as Christians on a regular basis to include prayers for our nation, for our nation's leaders. Pray for the world leaders 
that things would happen that would affect a move toward righteousness and away from ungodliness. That's very appropriate. Pray and take a stand. Uh, I, I'm not saying that taking a stand would mean running for public office, but I do think taking a stand says that you won't compromise your moral convictions. And like that county court clerk in, in Kentucky, Kim Davis, she said she wasn't going to compromise her convictions. In that principle, I applaud her. I don't, I don't, I don't agree completely with her, her methodology, but in that principle, I applaud her saying, I won't do what violates my no morals. Exceptions, yeah. No exceptions, no compromise. I think we have to be there. Right. I think we, I think we can certainly have a voice at the voting booth. Uh, I, 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 we're going to have more probably to say about this as we move into an election year. You yeah. know, we're, we're uh, moving into, well, before long, we'll be within a year of the next presidential election. That always gets lots of attention. But I'll tell you, I think as Christians, we have to be willing to take a stand and say, on on moral issues, we will not compromise our vote. You know, so here's this candidate, and I really like what he has to say about the economy. Uh, and and I, I, I sort of like what he has to say about national defense mm-hmm. and military uh, things, and but he he uh, favors abortion, or he favors same-sex marriage. I, I want I I want to encourage all of us as Christians to say that we absolutely will not vote no matter what. We will not vote for a political candidate that favors abortion or endorses same-sex marriage. Period. And no matter if they're a Republican, a Democrat, or a a yellow dog, oh, yellow dog. we're not going to vote for yeah. them. No matter what. All right. Uh, take a stand. 877-381-4567. Kyle, any thoughts about uh, about that? All right. All right. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, we've got to take a stand. We, I, I, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego and Daniel have always stood out to me as those who are unwavering in their commitment to the Lord. And, yeah. and there were... You know, they weren't the only four Jews. I mean, we don't know how many there were, but they, I mean, I, you got to think they weren't the only four Jews that were in that situation there, and yet they took the stand. And I think that's going to be one of the bigger challenges to us is that we're going to have to take a stand, even though faith, people who were considered faithful around us are falling away and not taking the stand. Well, like you to- said earlier, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to be surrounded by a lot of their Jewish brethren who were caving in. Okay, it's all right. The, yeah, uh, yeah. This and this once. Yeah. The question's always been asked, where was Daniel? You know, Because yeah. Daniel was a righteous man, and he's not mentioned as being one who opposed what the bowing down to the idol that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. And there's no explanation. The Bible doesn't say, but you know, i got to believe that he wasn't in the city at that time or there was something go- else going on because i got to believe Daniel would have stood with him. But i got to believe there were a lot of their their countrymen and brethren who were not taking that stand. And you know, we can look at the, the example of Jonah and uh, as far as making a difference. I mean, look at the evil uh, nation that he was going to there with Assyria, and yet they were able to turn. So there, we don't need to give up hope that our, it's all, all is lost. Our society is just bound and determined to, to go against God. We can make a change, and we need to be encouraged along those lines. All right, let's grab our last break, and when we come back, I think the the place where we really can make a difference is in our own lives and with our own families. All right, we'll take that on the other side. How do you get ready for this? How do you deal with this personally and, and on the family level? 
We'll go to the top of the hour right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Computers are good for lots of things, but there's no better way you could be using yours than to participate in the virtual Bible study every Thursday night. Can you think of a better use of your time? We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. In 1997, there were 13.9 million illegal drug users in the U.S. Today, 24.6 million Americans use illegal drugs, representing a 50% increase relative to the population. Since 1997, the percentage of unmarried couples living together has doubled. Not surprisingly, the percentage of Americans with no religious affiliation has nearly doubled to 22.8%, representing 56 million adults in America. That information is via ChristianHeadlines.com. The Word of God says in 2 Thessalonians 1, beginning verse 7, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back as we go to the top of the hour talking about preparing for opposition, as it looks like that that's coming down the line here. So how do we get ready for that? Tanya in the chat room has a very good comment. Uh, she cites Second Timothy 1, verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God. And that needs to be emphasized over and over Yeah, here's over Timothy. Again. Paul was admonishing Timothy along with Timothy was a great man, but he needed to be encouraged. You know, take a don't stand. Don't be ashamed. And don't be ashamed. 72.25 says unwavering versus tolerance and compromise. And certainly we've got to be steadfast, unwavering. Yeah. If we get David's comment earlier, just a, a little earlier in the chapter. We did not. I missed says, it. Thanks. Taking a stand takes preparation as the scriptures teach, quote, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, Ephesians 6. So prepare yourself. I think that's the key. I really think that's what we want to emphasize is that we can't wait until the storm hits. We got to get ourselves ready while the storm clouds are building. Because once the storm is here, if we're not, if we haven't made our preparation, we'll probably be like those Jews who caved in and bowed down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol well, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were, were opposing it. A couple, so, couple of thoughts about that. First, got to wonder if we will take a stand when we've been wavering and compromising with dealing with our family members or our yeah. close friends yeah. or with the situations on the job. you got to wonder, will we, will, will we be unwavering if something were to happen where they're going to throw us in prison for our position? you gotta, you got to ask yourself that. Yeah. And secondly... Well, everybody wants to say, "Oh yeah, I'll stand, I'll stand." Yeah, are you but, doing but it when, now? But when we see that we're we're compromising on lesser matters, right? How can we imagine we'd stand on one of those kind of challenging issues? And the other the the, the other part of that is that you got to if if you're preparing yourself that yes, I'm I'm determined, I'm going to go to jail for this if that's what it comes to. Well, then when you're presented with that situation where you might be tempted to compromise with a family member or a loved one or. Uh, a friend or someone, uh, something on the job, well, then that's going to be an easy stand to take. That's a proving. I've already, I've already got myself ready to. That's a proving go. ground. Yeah, that's it? right. That's a proving ground. Okay. Chris in UK says, train yourself and your family to be people of biblical principles. Let your children uh, know your stances and moreover why you have them. Let them know the scriptures that will make them wise rather than allowing them to be tossed hither and yon on every tide of doctrine. 
the gospel in the first generation is supplied in the second it is implied ends up in the third being denied i had never heard that that's kind of good the gospel in the first generation is supplied in the second it is Im- it in implied and ends up in the third generation being denied guard ourselves against that i think now, you're right now Chris. this is a good point and chris has made a, a good point we've got to start training our children to be to be you know have a if, backbone have a spiritual backbone if i'm if 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 i'm wavering on this if i compromise a little i don't i don't compromise a lot mind you now i mean i'm pretty i'm pretty spent just once in a while you know i sort of bend the rules a little bit here or there my children will bend them further and and that's just almost guaranteed and their children will bend them farther than that and in three or four generations we'll have a complete apostasy in our family tree if we're not careful you get back to i mean some of these things seem really insignificant and silly in this bigger picture of standing up. But I mean, we've, we've talked about the prom before and how parents waffle and cave on letting their kids go to the prom because why? We just don't want them to be different. Yeah. We, we don't want them to have to go to stand out like the sore thumb. But if you're, if you're compromising on issues like that, what, how are you training your kids that they're going to stand up against gay marriage? Or against abortion, you know, the, the, when they when they're coming to knock on the door and take them away. In the world we live in, we should want our children to be different. And you've got an opportunity. We should hope they'll be different. You got the opportunity when you're when they're in your house and you can stand behind them and hold them up to allow them to go through that. Yeah. Why in the world would you not take every opportunity you had to do that? Yeah, exactly right. And it may and they're going to have to stand up and be different when the kids at church are doing things that they shouldn't be doing that the parent, the other parents at church are allowing the kids to compromise. Yeah. You got to teach the, your kids to be willing to stand up against those in the world and stand up with those against those who claim to be Christians who are not living as they should get, We've got to get these, our kids toughened up so they they can stand. Yeah. Uh, guest three twenty six says exactly right. I see it all the time and have been guilty. I'm ashamed to say. So we just got to, and, and, and all of us, I, I think all of us would acknowledge that we have been weak at times and right. and didn't oh, yeah. didn't live oh, yeah. up to what we profess. Yeah. But we got to be stronger. We we got to repent, grow stronger, learn from our mistakes. That's the, not that's, repeat them. That's if we can take anything away from our subject tonight, our discussion tonight, as that is that we've all got to have this resolved and do yeah. better. Uh, Randy in Michigan says our families as well need to obey the good news and to love God and show their love by their obedience and their faith by good works. Also being doers of God's holy word and not hearers only, teaching them to love mankind and that Jesus is mankind's only hope of salvation. That we can live a faithful life in a very wicked world, a pure life in Jesus our Lord, daily teaching God's word and living and practicing it. Our family must see us walking with God daily and teaching the whole counsel of God. If God is for us, who can be against us? Thank you for that, Randy. Um, in regards to teaching our family, I've, I, I've had a thought of a Old Testament example. Back in the days of Joshua, Judges, Judges chapter 2, beginning verse 8, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And they forsook the Lord God, their fathers, which had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods. And the anger of God was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Well, why was it? They were faithful in the days of Joshua. In fact, I think it says... Uh, um, uh, 
No, I don't have that. In that same text, it says they were faithful all the days of Joshua and the generation that overlived Joshua. But then a generation arose that knew not God. Why, why would a generation arise that knew not God? Well, it had to be because they weren't being taught. They, they weren't getting that instruction. And, and and remember, Moses had told them, you be sure and teach your children. In Deuteronomy 6, beginning verse 6, these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Shall talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. It seems pretty clear they didn't do that. And so the, the, the result of that was a generation arose which knew not God. And that can happen to us. And the instruction to the, the Israelite parents were there was to immerse their children in this. Yeah. Uh, and, and remind them of what God had done in the past and what God expected of them today, constantly immersing them in that. And yeah. that's, that's our challenge yeah. in the world that we live in, in which there are so many distractions. Some, a couple of things I had on my list that might help us in doing that. In being strong and uncompromising and teaching our children, making sure there's uh, something that I think can help us with that is to build strong relationships with righteous people. You know, there are good people. Uh, there are good people in the, in the church. There are good people that we can associate with and build relationships with. Uh, and we need to get close and build strong relationships that will help us and help our families be strong uh, in the face of the wickedness and perverseness sure. that's around us. Paul needed that when he was in those difficult times. Yeah. Romans 12 verse 10 says, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. We need to do that. Yes, 30 or 326 says also time doesn't make a sin okay. Some family members are living in adultery and there has been a huge stand against it at first, but as the years have passed, they are now accepted into the family and included in everything. And so certainly got to take that continued stand. That's part of the difficult part of this. And then Arthur in the chat room references Revelation 21 verse 8, which speaks about the fearful who have their part in the lake of fire which uh, burns uh, the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So those who are fearful. And so uh, and the new King James refers to those as who are cowardly. And certainly the, the admonition there is that we cannot be uh, described that way in our conviction and our stand for the truth. David references, he says, tough scripture. He references James one verses two through four. My brethren counted all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Uh, that's, uh, that, that's the perspective and the outlook that we need to have on these difficult times. I think that's right. Uh, times could get, uh, just sort of, we just got a, a, a couple minutes to go, but uh, times could get bad. We're not prophets here. We're not predicting anything. We, can't, we don't have the insights uh, that would allow us to tell what will happen in the days to come. But I think you can make some predictions without miraculous divine insight. And and I think you could predict things will get worse, not better. Okay. Uh, don't you think that's a fair prediction? Probably. Yeah. If looking at history, yeah. you would have to assume that that would be the case. And so we just got to be ready. Although, you know, there were times when Israel turned would around. Come and, back. And, uh, and, and like we said, if we exercise our influence, we might make a change. Jonah turned the Ninevites for a while. Yeah. And we might could turn. But overall, likelihood is that the trend will get worse rather than better. But we need to remember those faithful people of old. I, I want to take us to Hebrews 11, a passage you really like, Jacob. Hebrews 11, again, verse 36, talking right. about the, some of the faithful people of Old Testament times. 
Hebrews 11, beginning verse 36, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. You know what it says there? They did not accept deliverance. You think that might have been deny your Lord and we'll spare your life? Uh, it's just a simple little thing. You yeah. can end this right now. Just deny your Lord. Yeah. Oh, you, oh, you just say the word and we'll, and we'll yeah. take the chains off and we'll and, quit whipping you. Yeah. Others had trial cruel, a uh, trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. That's pretty amazing when you think about the things. What's the Hebrew writer describing? He's describing what God's faithful people have endured in times past. We've lived in a very soft Time. Right. We've not been. Re- there's not been much required of us. We yeah. haven't paid much of a price to be yeah. faithful to the Lord. But it could be that we will be required to do that. We've got to be ready. So the Hebrew writer goes on in chapter 12, beginning verse one. This is this this is the same context as an un- I think an unfortunate chapter break right there. He goes right from describing those great heroes of the faith in the Old Testament. He says, "Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the." Weight, every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds ye have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin you know that last expression really fits us we haven't had it hard uh, we haven't been thrown in jail. We haven't been beaten with a whip. We haven't been stoned. We haven't resisted unto blood. But we might be called upon. Plenty of people have been. Yeah. And we need to be ready to do that if that's what's needed and, and what's required. And God doesn't say this is beyond the pale. You shouldn't be so extreme. No, he expects us to take a stand, whatever the cost may be. And I love that parenthetical statement there in verse 38 of, of chapter 11, of whom the world was not worthy. Uh, these people were a, were were exemplary. And notice that God recognized that. It was yeah. not for naught. And another passage that's becoming a favorite of mine is Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols, as you are the temple of the living God? As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 17, therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. And I will be a, God, a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters says the Lord Almighty. God expects us to come out from among the world, to be counterculture, to be different than the world around us. And notice the great benefit. He'll be our God and we'll be his children. Yeah. And uh, with him on our side, we certainly do not have to fear what man sh- shall do unto us. Now, um, if we are going to be counterculture, we've got to make sure that we're checking our thoughts and things that are influencing us in every aspect of our life and not allow ourselves to be swayed by the masses. We can't just go along and, and walk through this world uh, without stopping to think about what am I doing here and, and comparing ourselves to what God expects of us. Exactly right. All right. Kyle, any thoughts before we conclude? We haven't, no, we haven't used the Kyle cam enough tonight. Thanks for being here, Kyle. We yeah, appreciate you. Thank you, Kyle, for being here tonight. And uh, Dad, a good discussion. I think, Somewhat uh, concerning discussion, but certainly we need to be encouraged and, and courageous. I believe we got to be ready. That's Whatever comes, good or bad, we got to be ready to be faithful to the Lord. All right. We appreciate uh, your time tonight. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for joining us. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life. 
study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day, you'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.